Morning, everyone. Nice to see you all. So, I don't know if any of you guys have got a, uh, a favourite comedian. I have. One of my favourites is, is Bill Bailey. And I was watching a bit of Bill Bailey this week. And every now and then, he, he talks about God when he's, you know, doing his stand-up act. And I've heard him a couple of times. He gets to the bit where he talks about, you know, the Judeo-Christian uh, idea of God. And, and um, when he described his perception of the Judeo-Christian God, he, de- he was describing it as a, as, as a God that only cares about what people do with, with their bodies, you know, very much, you know, his caricature was, you know, mm, what, 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 what's that? You know, stop that, don't touch that, oh, that's filthy, so, you know, that, that, that sort of thing. And these verses that we've got today, read in isolation, some of them at least, if Bill Bailey was here and just, and just read them, he, that it might, there'd be a danger that it might reinforce his idea that all God cares about is do this, don't do that. Um, oh, that's filthy, get away. Um, but we know from what we've read previously uh, in Colossians, what we've heard in, in previous weeks, that the context for the verses I'm about to read to you is that we have already died in Jesus Christ, and that means that everything we've ever done wrong has already been paid for. The penalty for it has been paid by Jesus, and the punishment doesn't belong to us. We've been freed, and we've been forgiven. And not only that, we've been raised to new life in Christ. Paul spoke last week. Um, And one of the verses was, our lives are now hidden with Christ. Hidden in Christ, with with God. We are joined with Jesus in the most special way, where we're free, we're forgiven. And the verses that I'm about to read is God's heart for us to live in the good of that, to live in the full benefit of the freedom that he's won for us. So with that in mind, let's turn to Colossians chapter 3, and we are in verses 5 to 11. Okay, so it says this. So put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature... Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshipping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the wrath of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or not a Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, uneducated or uncultured, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. I hope some of you can forgive me from reading from the New Living Translation there. I just, uh, <laughs> I felt that it, just uh, brought something. Um, okay, so 
what we're going to look at from these verses this morning is, well, as, as, as I said before, we've been freed, and God wants us to live in the good of the freedom that he's won for us. He wants us to live a life of spiritual adventure and connection with him, living close to him, in, in, in how we've been blessed by him to return it in worship and blessing other people around us. But the thing is, some things get in our way. And what can get in our way is what verse 5 calls the earthly nature. So I want to look at what is the earthly nature, why is it a problem, and how do we put it to death? Because these verses are telling us to do something. They're telling us to put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. We rightly prize the grace of God, the fact that we don't earn our salvation. There's nothing we can do to make ourselves lovable and acceptable. God just loves us and accepts us because he's like that. It's in his nature to love us and accept us. He wanted so badly to pay the price for us to live in that place and enjoy that. He sent his son to die for us. So we prize that grace of God. But one mistake would be to be passive with it and to think, oh, well, God's just done everything for me. So I don't really have to do to do anything. But these verses are telling us to do something. So, first of all, what is the earthly nature? The earthly nature is the, it's the inclination to not just desire, but over-desire. Desire too much earthly things. So, what sort of things are we talking about? Well, if you look at at the verses that, that we've read out, it's, it's things like sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, um, greedy for the things of this world, uh, rage, anger, malicious behavior, slander, all these sorts of things. Um, now, what about some concrete examples? They're, they're, they're generalities, but what, what do those things look like in our day-to-day -day life? How would we identify them? So, so if we're saying that, that the earthly nature is, is when earthly things become a need, not just a, oh, it would be nice, but, but a, I have to have it. So... The earthly nature might be the impulse. Oh, and I just want to say one thing, okay? Um, before I start reading through this list, you could easily uh, sit there and think, oh my goodness, he's just sort of saying lots of bad things that I've done, and it's, it's making me feel bad about myself. And my aim is not to make you feel bad about yourself. And I will tell you, before I read through these, I will tell you most of them are things that I have done. Okay? All right, so we're in, we're in this together. So the earthly nature, it could be the impulse to stay up after uh, your spouse, if you have one, has gone to bed so that you can indulge in the thrill of watching attractive people have sex on the internet. The earthly nature, it could be the drive, the inner drive you might have to pursue your career and achieving a certain status in your career at the expense of the needs of your family, because success and status in your career is more important to you than making sure your family is cared for and has you there present with them. What else could it look like? The earthly nature could be the compulsion, the compulsion to hoard money and possessions, 
because you only feel secure in yourself if you know that you've got X amount in the bank. And that is such a need that it, it caps your compassion and generosity towards others. There, there might be times where you could actually help someone but shy away from it because it, it feels insecure giving that money away. You need that money in your bank account to feel secure. I'm not saying you should all be giving all your money away. Obviously, there's, we all have a certain amount we need to live. I'm talking about if you take that to an extreme um, where you've got obviously more than you need and, it, and, it's, and it's sitting there, but from a place of fear and insecurity, you can't be generous with it. Okay, one last example, just in case you're sitting too uncomfortably. Okay, the earthly nature, it could be the panic and the anger that you feel if someone challenges you and points out, either deliberately or inadvertently, they point out a, a, a flaw or a mistake that you've made maybe a weak point in your character, and they just touch on it. Maybe they even just call you out on it and say, you've, you've done this, or you've made that mistake. And your response is panic. The, feel that you, the feeling that you need to defend yourself. You have to defend yourself. And so your response is to lash out and res respond in, in anger to attack the, the other person in return. Get the attention off yourself and your flaws and your mistakes by going for the other person and, and what, you know, well, you've, but you've done this, and, or you're like this, so how could you talk to me like that? And, you, know, you know what I'm talking about. Most of us have been there. So, look, there's just some examples, all right? Um, so the next question is, if that's what the earthly nature is about, why is it a problem? It might be obvious from sort of the examples that I've given, but what, let's spell it out. Why is the earthly nature a problem? Why is, why is God so keen for us to be proactive in putting to death the, the earthly nature? So we do have genuine needs. Okay, feeling secure, feeling like we're worth something, okay, feeling like we're alive. Because I mean, let's think about it. Why do we do those things that I just talked about? What, like, why does anyone look at porn, for example? Maybe it's to feel a certain thrill, feel alive, feel a, a sense of being connected to someone beautiful. Um, why do we sort of lash out at people if we feel they're pointing out our flaws. Because we need to feel secure, and we need to feel like we're good enough. When people criticize us, it's like they're saying, you're not good enough. You're not that valuable. And so we go, ah, because we need to feel like we're worth something, like we are good enough. But it's sort of a fundamental human need. So, 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 so why is the earthly nature a problem? It's, it's, a, it's a problem because instead, the earthly nature is when instead of going to get those needs met in, in God, in Jesus, we look to something earthly instead. So, whether, whether it, it is you know, the pornography or whether it is um, attacking someone, the point is, is that Defending ourselves or feeling that thrill, it becomes more important to us than following God and sort of doing what he would have us do in that situation. It becomes more important than caring for the, the people involved. So, for example, take the career example I gave you know, that, that impulse to achieve a certain level of success and status in your career, so you end up neglecting people around you. What, what's happened is that sense of status 
that sense of, um, of, of worth and status that you get from, from your career, it's become more important than caring for the people around you. So what happens? We damage ourselves, we damage other people, and we dishonor God. That's what happens when we live by the earthly nature. We, we damage ourselves, we damage other people, and we dishonor God. And, and, and if you sort of zoom out for a moment and look at society as a whole, what does this problem look like? Um, I was just reading a, a, a book earlier in the week, which wasn't anything to do with preparing for the preach, but I just came across this. I found it really interesting. Uh, it was quoting a 2019 report um, from Gallup. And what interested me is that this was 2019, so before the pandemic. And so it says, Gallup produced its regular global emotions report. What a report. And the headline of this report was, the world is sadder, angrier, and more scared than ever before. And what was really interesting was it sort of ranks all the countries as, on their negative emotions, which countries have the most negative emotions, which countries have the least negative emotions. And what I found really interesting is that Western European and North American countries, Western European countries and North America were, were the countries that ex experience, according to this report, the most negative emotions. And the reason I found that interesting is because we are the ones who tend to have the culture that's most focused on self, on getting our needs met, you know, whatever makes you happy, do whatever makes, you know, be yourself and have life centered around you having your needs met. You do you and, you know, you, you get yours, get what you need. And yet, the countries that most value individuality and pursuing your own needs to find your own happiness. Living your own truth to find your own happiness so that you can feel alive and secure and worth something. Those are the countries that experience the most negative emotions. Why is that? I would offer to you the suggestion that it's because we're the ones who most live by the earthly nature. And so we're the ones who sort of most readily end up damaging ourselves, our others, and dishonoring God. Okay, before I make you any more miserable... Oh, no, sorry, I've just seen I've got to make you feel a bit more miserable before we can move on to the good news. Um, just worth saying that we, we know, don't we, as Christians, even as Christians, saved children of God, we can still get caught up in this stuff. We, you know, we've got to be honest with ourselves. It does still happen. We still carry old habits, old ways of thinking. We've all still been shaped by hurts from the past. And the way those hurts shape us, we sort of still carry something of that shape. But the, the good news is that God loves to reshape us, to remake us. He makes us new. We don't just have a new status in him, okay, as, and, and that is incredible, status of being accepted, saved, loved, forgiven, destined to be with him forever. New creation in Christ. 
We have this new status, but he's also doing a work in us to make us new so that those old habits, those old hurts, those old shapes that we carry within us get reformed, reshaped into something new, into something more beautiful, something more like Jesus Christ. When we have those, those, those moments, those times where we sort of live a bit by the earthly nature, we're still connected to God. You don't lose your status. You don't become less of a Christian. It's, 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 but it's a bit like, um, I, I like sports, and I, on a Sunday afternoon sometimes, I like to watch some sport uh, on, on, on the iPad, and it might be some football, it could be some racing, um, but w- whatever it is, I'll, be, I'll get really into it, okay? But what happens sometimes is that the internet connection's having a moment of not being great, and I'm so absorbed in what I'm watching, so connected with what's going on, but the picture will go blurry. And then I can't see. I can't see what's happening. You know, if I'm watching the football, maybe someone's on the attack, and then suddenly, I don't know, I don't know what's happening next. Did they just make a pass? Is, is it becoming more dangerous? Is there about to be a goal? I can hear the crowd. What does that mean? They're getting more excited. Is there about to be some, some important action? Just be clear. <laughs> I want to see. Oh, I need to know what's going on. I'm still connected to it. I can still hear the commentary. But it's gone blurry, and I don't know what's happening exactly. And I, I'm, and, 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 I, and I don't know how to respond. I don't know whether I should be excited that my team might be about to do something good, or whether to be... Uh, like disappointed because a a, a promising-looking attack has just broken down. Now, I can't enjoy it if I can't see it clearly. And it's a bit like that if we indulge in the earthly nature. We're still connected to God, and we've, we've we've still got the commentary, you know? We... We're no less a Christian. It's just really difficult to enjoy our connection with God and, 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 and live fully by it and in, in the good of it. We were made by God for a life lived close to him. It is the best place to be. You can't we believe here, you can't lose your salvation. Okay. But there is more. There is more for us to experience. There is a closeness with God, an adventure with him for us all. The good news is that, yeah, we've got verses like these. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That's where we normally stop. But this is how it goes on. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. You are the brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ, and it is your destiny. You are predestined. It is your destiny to be conformed to the image of Christ. It will happen. Paul says in another part of the New Testament, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. It's your destiny. He will complete this beautiful, transforming work in you, reshaping you, renewing you into the image of Jesus. As I said at the start, 
There's a part for us to play. I love this verse. It says, continue, it's from Philippians chapter 2, continue to work out your salvation. That's something for you to do. Work out your salvation. Hang on a minute. Isn't salvation by grace alone? Yes, it is. But that grace empowers us and moves us to work out our own salvation and enables us to partner with God in the working out of it. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's an awesome thing to do it. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So we need to work out our own salvation. We have a part to play. And our passage today is showing us one of the most vital ways in which we can do it. And it is putting to death the earthly nature that is in us. So, how? How do we do it? It's really easy to say, put to death your earthly nature. But you know as well as me, if someone says something that's frankly annoying, it's just, you're going to get angry, aren't you? I mean, not inevitably, because we're a new creation and these things aren't inevitable. Hallelujah. Okay, but it so easily happens. So how do we not? First thing I want to say is it's not about behavior management. It's not about trying really hard to behave differently. Okay, it's not like New Year's resolutions. Oh, I'll just decide not to do that anymore. And that's it, done. We all know that doesn't work. Trying harder is not the answer. It doesn't work. I tried to be really deliberate in the first section when I was talking about the earthly nature to highlight what the motivations are, the sorts of motivations that lead us to the behaviors I was talking about. If we're going to put to death the earthly nature, we have to do it at the level of our motivations. We have to put to death whatever in us is motivated towards certain behaviors. If our motivations don't change, then our behavior never will. When I was a teenager, my parents, they went through this phase where they started thinking it was a really good idea to get me to do housework. Sad days. Um, one of the things they gave to me was the garden. I had to mow the lawn once a week, and I had to weed it. And I knew nothing about gardening. I knew nothing about housework. Um, and to be honest, I thought they were just trying to get out of doing boring, bothersome jobs by getting me to do it instead. But as I'm mowing the lawn and weeding the garden, what I found before long was that I'd, I'd rip the, the weeds out, but a week or two later, they'd be back. So annoying, because it was more work, more time away from what I actually wanted to be doing. I didn't realize, I didn't know that you have to get rid of the roots. If you don't get rid of the roots, the thing just springs back to life given a few days or a few weeks. There I was, confused, upset. Okay, but it's the same with our behavior. If we don't deal with the roots, the behavior will just keep springing back and springing back. You can have a few days or a week where you think, oh, I've done well. But if you don't deal with the roots, the weed will spring back. So let's take the flashes of anger as an example. The situation where someone touches on a nerve, 
they've criticised us, they've um, maybe pointed out something that we've done wrong or a character flaw, we get angry and we respond with hurtful words. Volley, a venomous volley in return. So as I said before, what's the motivation that's going on there? Well, that person's criticism has probably, probably, just threatened our sense of security and our sense of worth and our sense of if we're good enough or not. Um, okay, so here's, here's me being real, okay? So this happened to me about a week ago. So um, Beth had been out shopping, and while she was out shopping, the kids were messing around. And it's that sort of messing around where you look at them as the parent and you think, you're going to hurt each other. Someone is going to get hurt. And so, as a responsible parent, I said, hey, guys, consider this. If you keep doing what you're doing, one of you is going to get really hurt. Please stop. It would be a really good idea to stop. And, um, and then they listened really well. And No, they didn't. <laughs> they ignored me and carried on doing what they were doing. So I started getting a little bit frustrated. You know, I'm a, I'm a teacher by trade in my line of work. Kids listen to me and do what I say. Um, but my kids, not always so much in the same way. So I asserted myself a bit more. Changed it from being a helpful suggestion to a definitive command. Cease. <laughs> Stop what you're doing. You're going to hurt each other. It's not okay. I've asked you once. This is it. It's over. That's the end of it. Okay. So they went upstairs, and I thought, oh, great. <laughs> they've, they've gone to do something innocent. And then there was a massive thud that not only went through the ceiling above me, it went through my very body and being. <laughs> Such was the, the force of it, swiftly followed by Reuben going, Oh, Grace! <sighs> I was fuming. <laughs> Two clear warnings, very clear command. Grace had pushed Reuben off of my bed onto the floor, what they were doing on my bed, I have not got the first clue, and he had fallen in an awkward way and really hurt himself. And I wasn't patient, I wasn't calm, I got angry, I was fuming. And in that moment, I didn't care that Reuben was genuinely hurt, I did that thing where I just went in and was like, well, well that's exactly what I said would happen. <laughs> and, you know, there was not a lot of compassion. And then Beth gets home. Just the, just the right moment. And, of course, she came and backed me up 100%. As, no, she didn't. <laughs> she pointed out that I should have probably checked that Reuben was okay and not injured before launching into the moral of, listen to me or you get hurt. <laughs> um, and guess what? I, 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 res I responded really calmly. I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. You're, I'm in the wrong here. I'm the one that's... <laughs> I didn't. I did. I got really annoyed with her. That the, the kids, the kids, they're the ones. They've created this situation. And because I felt like she was, she wasn't. She was just let's let be clear. She said in a you know, in a really straightforward way, what you know, what, why aren't you checking to make sure Ruben's is he all right? I, I don't know. Don't care. <laughs> 
you should, why, you should check. Check he's all right. But I felt in the moment when I was still fuming that she was criticizing me for how I'd handled the situation. And guess what? I responded by criticizing her. I wanted to take the spotlight off myself. And so ironically, I criticized her for criticizing me. <laughs> so I made a hypocrite of myself whilst I was at it. <laughs> we don't like the spotlight on us. We don't like it if people make us feel bad about ourselves and how we've handled something makes us question whether we're good enough at being a dad or whatever it is. So, what do I do? How do I put that bit in me to death? Two keys, my friends, that I have to offer you this morning the love of God, and the leading of his spirit. See, if my problem is that I'm insecure about my worth, about how good a dad I am in this example I've given, then that insecurity is going to lead me to respond suboptimally in situations like the one I've just described. But if my problem is that I'm insecure about my worth and how good I am in some certain area of my life, then there's only one power that I've come across in my life that's powerful enough to change my heart and my motivations and my responses. And that power is the love of God for me in Jesus Christ, secured by his death and resurrection and poured out into my heart by his Holy Spirit. I've painted a picture for you, but I want to tell you this. Beth and I used to argue loads when we first got married. The first few years of our marriage, we argued all the time. And we don't so much anymore. Whereas it used to be maybe once or twice a day or sometimes on a good week, maybe just once or twice a week. These days, it's, it's more like once every two or three months. What's changed? I am convinced that the reason we don't argue so much anymore is because both of us are more secure in the love and acceptance of God for us. So when we are in these situations where it could feel like the other person's criticizing us, generally, we don't react we obviously still do, because I've just told you a recent example of when we've done it. But that's no longer the norm. It used to be the norm. Now, it isn't. Now, it's the, the outlier, the, 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 the sort of the, the rare occasion. We're less focused on ourselves. We're less focused on defending ourselves. We're more focused on serving and helping each other and wanting to prioritize the other one's needs ahead of our own. She likes things done a certain way in the house. I couldn't care less whether things are done that way in the house. In fact, it'd be way more convenient for me if they were not done that way in the house because it'd make my life easier. And I used to resent it and it used to flare up lots of sort of, well, you're over fussy. Oh, you're lazy. Uh, no. Whereas now, it's just, no, I want to 
do what you want because it blesses you and I love you. And the only reason we've been able to change and go from one to the other is because over the years, there's a work of God in my heart where I'm loved by God and I've experienced that and it's changed my heart. And so my motivations have changed. It's no longer about getting what I need, which would have been, I need rest. You're asking me to do housework. That goes against what I need. Therefore, I don't like you <laughs> in, that, in, that, in that moment. Now, it's no, God meets my need for rest. My orientation is to love. I want to love. It's not behavior management. It's not, I know it's the right thing to do. I mean, sometimes you make yourself do it because it's the right thing. But there's been a work in my heart. You see, the love of God kills self-centeredness. When you genuinely experience the love of God for you, poured out into your heart by his Holy Spirit on an ongoing basis through the days, through the weeks, through the years, consistently, it kills self-centeredness in you. Your heart thaws and it warms, and it warms to the character of God. And the love you receive has a natural overflow out to others. The love of God kills the roots of insecurity that lie within us. The love of God kills the roots of fear that lie within us. Why? How? Because we are made by God and we're made for God. And when we experience his love, we experience what we were made for. We've arrived home. When we experience the love of God, we're complete. We are. It's what we were made for. When we experience the love of God, we lack nothing. And the things that we need, we have absolute peace and freedom that our good Father will provide them for us because we're secure in his love, so we know he'll give us what we need. It's not an insecurity. And when we know that he meets all our needs and we are secure in his love, it frees us to love the people around us. It says in 1 John, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. It all starts, it all starts with his love for us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another and more than that, we can, because we're free and we're enabled to do it by the power of his love operating in our hearts. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Friends, if you want to grow in God, if you want to put to death the earthly nature that is within you, if you want to be transformed to become more like Jesus, spend time reflecting on and resting in his love for you deliberately. Let yourself be loved. Read of his love. Sing of his love. Pray in response to his love for you. He loves you freely. 
He loves you wholly. He loves you completely. There's nothing that can get in the way of his love for you. It's all been won and it's all been done by Jesus dying on the cross and rising again for you. I've run out of time, but the second key I was going to give you, we need hearts changed and transformed in the love of Christ. In terms of then daily living, I'll just offer you to live each day led by the Spirit of God. It says in Galatians chapter 5, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The flesh is the same thing as the earthly nature that we've been talking about. If you walk by the Spirit, if you keep in step with the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You will not live by the earthly nature. It's impossible. Why? How is that so? It's because the two are opposed. The two are opposed. See, when we walk by the Spirit, we get the fruit of the Spirit. You know the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So when he pours his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, and when we start each day and walk through each day with our prayer being, Spirit, fill me, Spirit, lead me. The fruit of the Spirit will naturally grow. If I turned up for a 100-meter sprint later this afternoon, I'd fall flat on my face and injure myself. If I trained for the next several months and then turned up for a 100-meter sprint, I probably wouldn't injure myself, and I'd probably do half-decent. It's a bit like that when it comes to responding to those trigger points, those moments we've been talking about where we could, live, we could give the earthly response or we could live by the Spirit from a place of completeness in the love of God. When we meditate and live in the love of God and when we pray through the days, Spirit, lead me. Spirit, fill me. Spirit, lead me. When that crunch moment comes, where you could go one way or the other, rather than being like me turning up to a 100-meter sprint this afternoon, falling flat on my face and getting injured, actually, we have that momentum. We have that life of God which is nurtured in us, and we're able to discern the wisdom of God the direction of God. Words might come into your mind to unlock a situation. You might have the self-control, that fruit of the Spirit, to respond better. So I offer that to you as well. Ed, if you could come back up. So let's do it now. Do you want to stand? Let's ask the Holy Spirit to pour the love of God, into our hearts. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to lead us and inspire us in our prayers, to lead us and inspire us in our thinking, to lead us and inspire us in our responses to people and situations that we come across in the week ahead. We all have deep, needs for acceptance, for security, for intimacy, and for worth. Let's find these needs met in the love of God. And let's live from there, from that place, by the leading of his Spirit. Lord God, how we need you. And we love you. We are grateful for you. You 
sent your son to die for our sins that we would be forgiven and set free from the power of sin. It is now our destiny to be conformed to the image of Jesus, to be like you. Thank you that you are now transforming our hearts. So Lord, we ask, pour your love. Pour your love into our hearts afresh by your Holy Spirit. Would you be touching people in their hearts in this room right now? He says, I love you. He says, I've won you. And I've won you at a cost because you're worth it. You were worth that cost to me. Lord God, we are complete in your love. Change us in your love. Holy Spirit, lead us and inspire us in this moment, in this day, and in the days ahead. Thank you, Jesus, that in all these things we're renewed in your image. Let's respond to him. Let's respond to his love. If you find it difficult to let God love you, if you find it difficult to accept that he loves you and how he loves you, how deeply he loves you, how richly he loves you, just encourage you to ask him to unlock your heart and let him open it. Ask him for the deeper experience so easy to live in our heads and we need him to touch our hearts so that we don't just know about his love for us we know his love for us by experience and by heart so for any of us here in that position Lord Jesus help us unlock our hearts change us forever in your love I pray in Jesus name Amen.